athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Thank you for joining me on the program. Listen, a whole lot to get to on today's program. The NBA trade deadline has come and gone. If we have some time, we'll talk NBA on today's program. Joining us today on the program, Las Vegas Raiders offensive tackle, Brandon Parker. Brandon Parker going to join us today on the program. What a season for the Raiders. A lot of ups and downs. And Brandon Park is going to talk with us about it. He also played his collegiate football at North Carolina A&T. And so we're going to talk with Brandon Parker on today's program. We'll talk some big game matchup. Los Angeles, the Rams playing at home, taking on the Bengals. This is a very hard game to call. I got to be honest with you because they're... For me, there's one variable. Like, I want to go with the Bengals. And I'm not saying that I'm not. I'm just telling you, if this one variable weren't at all a variable, right, then I would most likely be going with the Bengals. The offensive line of the Bengals concerns me. How do you block Aaron Donald? Now, I think with the Bengals, that extra week, I think, will enable Cincinnati to have come up with a scheme to be able to block that front four because you've got Von Miller also on one side. And Von Miller's good. I mean, do you double-team Von Miller? At this stage in his career, I'm not sure. But he is still going to be able to make some plays even if he has a one-on-one matchup. We've seen that happen in the playoffs. But he's not. it's not the Von Miller from five years ago. But Aaron Donald is just a beast. So I've got some thoughts on the big game matchup as well. Further NFL talk. So we've had a couple of hires. The um, Saints have stuck with uh, their, well, I shouldn't say stuck with, but defensive coordinator Dennis Allen is this, the Saints head coach. He was the defensive coordinator, and he's the now the Saints uh, head coach. And also, the Jaguars have gone with Doug Peterson, former head coach of the Eagles, led the Eagles to the Super Bowl uh, several years ago. Uh, Now the head coach of the Jaguars. Also, in a bit of a surprise move, I think the Texans hire Lovey Smith as their new head coach, leaving only two vacancies open, the Vikings and the Dolphins. Interesting hire, I must say. And again, we're going to keep this at the forefront because the big game is going to take away from some of the headlines 
the season will be over. We won't talk about it, but we're going to keep the Brian Flores situation, his lawsuit against the National Football League for discrimination and racism at the forefront. Uh, we don't want to forget about that because he's got some valid points. Now, you can look at the Lovey Smith hire, okay, because that was out of nowhere. And by the way, even before I talk about the Lovey Smith hire, it goes to show, and this is something that I will continue to say and have said many times on this program. Please do not compare the National Football League to college football. Remember, and I had forgotten this, that Lovey Smith was the head coach of the Buccaneers for two years. I'd forgotten about that. Went on to become the head coach in college of Illinois. It didn't have a lot of success there, right? But it doesn't matter. He had success in the National Football League, did I mean, I guess a decent job as the defensive coordinator for the Texans. I mean, what more could you ask? The Texans just had a bad roster and now becomes the head head football coach, the head coach. Now, you could look at some different variables. Maybe they hired him because of the whole Cully situation. You can look at it from that vantage point. So people can't say, well, you fired the black coach, put him in a bad position, right? And then the Texans can counter. Well, we just didn't like Cully. We've hired Lovey Smith, a black coach, okay? So you can look at it from that vantage point. I still think, I mean, Brian Flores has got, I mean, he's, he's spot on. No excuse why Brian Flores is not a head coach. So Lovey Smith, it's an interesting hire to me that comes really out of nowhere, okay? Um. You know, is it a one-year thing for Lovey Smith? You know, what are the parameters behind the hiring of Smith? Of course, I think for him, it's a it's a good move for him, even if it's a bad situation, because all coaches that need a second opportunity, right, feel like they can turn a franchise around. And so I'm sure that's what Lovey Smith is thinking. I mean, to be honest with you, the Texans, as bad as the roster was, were in a lot of ball games and managed to win. I believe it was four football games that the Texans won on last year. So I think that's an interesting hire. Let me let me move to the the hiring of Dennis Allen. I think I think that's interesting. I think if you look at the Saints, and again, let, let me be clear. Any team can hire any candidate that that team feels is the right candidate for it. This should not be about race. It should not be about black and white. Unfortunately, because of the history of the National Football League, the past history, the recent history, and the present history, if you will, it does become an issue. Dennis Allen I mean, I think it's a good fit, right? Because the culture's there. Dennis Allen has been with the Saints for quite some time. So you move to a coach that knows the culture. You've got a really good roster. And by the way, that defense is really, really good. The defense is really, really good. Like the defense was the one that mostly carried the Saints this year. So that's a good, I think that's a good move. But if I want to look at wins and losses as a head coach, Dennis Allen's record as a head coach 
is 8 and 28. 8 and 28. 4 and 12 in 2012. 4 and 12 in 2013. 0 and 4 in 2014. Now, if I take it back, going back to the late 80s, early 90s, and I'm looking at the Raiders, and I'm looking at Art Shell, <laughs> Art Shell had a much better record than this and still ultimately got fired. But this isn't about Art Shell, but I'm just pointing that out. This man gets another opportunity with an 8-28 and 28 record, yet you still got Todd Bowles out there who had at least one winning. I think he was there with the Jets for three years, had a winning season. You look at Leslie Frazier, who was still out there, who, who at least one season, I think he had three or four seasons, one of those seasons led, and, and remember, one of those seasons, Adrian Peterson was hurt most of this season. So that wasn't a very good team. Then he's the head coach when the Vikings ultimately w- uh, make it to the playoffs. I think that season the Vikings were 12-4. and four. Yet, and by the way, s- specifically to Leslie Frazier, Leslie Frazier is a, is a guy who should have gotten an opportunity long ago. She got an opportunity a long time ago, right? So he didn't even get that opportunity that he should have gotten a while back, even before he got the Vikings job. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, did he have a losing record? Yeah, but so did Dennis Allen. So did North Turner. So did a lot of these white coaches that get second and third opportunities, yet the black coaches, most notably, right, as we're talking about, Leslie Frazier, right? Ultimately, Todd Bowles have not gotten that second opportunity. And by the way, we're down to just two NFL coaching vacancies. And again, I will say this. We're not saying this enough. Even though, as I just said, and I always say, college and the National Football League, college football and the National Football League are two different things. Ultimately, you we've seen where a lot of former college head football coaches ultimately become head coaches in the National Football League. You can look at Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. It just comes off the, you know, just off the top of really off the top of my head. So you can look at, you know, a Matt Rule um situation and know that that's the case. Cliff Kingsbury's another, right? I, I, that's who was I, 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 his his name was escaping me. Cliff Kingsbury of the Cardinals, right? Head coaches at the college level get head coaches at the National Football League level. Again, there's a lack of black coaches at the collegiate level, especially on the FBS level, which can help to get you. Now, it may you may not go from being a head coach in college to a head coach in the NFL, although these two gentlemen that I just mentioned did. But maybe you do well, then you get on maybe as an, a coordinator or some kind of assistant coach in the National Football League, and then it leads to a head coaching job in the NFL. Jim Caldwell is a rare exception. Who's And Jim Caldwell, black, by the way, if you didn't know that, Wake Forest head coach, and then ultimately goes on to be um, the head coach of the Colts and the Lions. He should get another opportunity as well. So it's interesting, and it needs – to be kept in the forefront that this is an issue. It continues to be an issue. And if we don't continue to talk about it, it's going to continue to be 
an issue. Still to come here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. A little NBA talk trade deadline was yesterday and had a big trade to go down, some smaller ones. We'll talk more about that. Sean Woods, the head men's basketball coach at Southern, also going to join us. But up next, we're going to be joined by Las Vegas Raiders offensive tackle, Brandon Parker. All you've got to do now is... And you can do it via Twitter at Box to Roll. We'll be back. Cause some don't agree with how I do this. I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist. I'm dropping flavor, my behavior is hereditary. But my technique is very necessary. Blame it on Ice Cube because it's said it get funky. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timberlake Roll, founder of Marjorie Speed Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. The others pretend you're listening to the show that brings you up close and personal. Up close and personal. With the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Here's the man to bring it to you, Donald Ware. Famous, I write this alone in Vegas. Camouflage street money, party nights with the A-list. I write this alone in Vegas. Brandon Parker is in his fourth season in the National Football League. All with the now... Las Vegas Raiders, as a matter of fact, a former third-round selection out of North Carolina, A&T offensive tackle, as he joins us here on Box to Row. What's going on, Brandon? Welcome back to the program. Uh, What's going on, man? Glad to be back, brother. Glad to be back. Absolutely. Man, what a season. Like, this has been – I don't know if you've ever experienced a season of football in all of your career like – this season that the Raiders had. Just your thoughts on the overall season. Uh, man, all I can say is perseverance, bro. And perseverance and God's grace. That's the reason we're all standing here and finished. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, and but you guys ultimately end up making the playoffs. I mean, that, uh, you know, that in of itself uh, was an accomplishment considering all the things that happened during the season. Yeah, that, I mean, you, you know, it's just, which is why you got to give credit to everybody that had a part, man. I know we all, like you said, unfortunately, deal with all that stuff, but we all just had that mentality to keep going, and it worked out. Yeah, no question about it, man. I mean, take us sort of through um, that playoff game. I mean, a really, really good game. Ultimately, you came on uh, on the wrong side of uh, of the stick or the short side of the stick on that, but, I mean, it it ultimately came down – to the last offensive possession for the Raiders. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a nail biter, bro. Um, 
you know, uh, came out the game a little slow. But as you know, uh, games are won in the second half, and plus what playoff football is all about with all these, you know, close margin of victory games that's happened. So we thought we could, uh, you know, have a two-minute drive to kind of <laughs> propel us into glory and give us an overtime chance and hopefully come out victorious, man. But, you know, we got to give credit to the Bengals. They're obviously a Super Bowl team. They're good. They stopped us, and, you know, we've just been executing enough. Your thoughts on the whole – what were you thinking, the, the whole John Gruden situation with him ultimately being fired with those emails uh, coming out? What were your thoughts on that? It was unfortunate, man. Um, you know, we're in the era – I know this came out quite a bit ago, but we're also in, you know, the cancel culture that's today, and we're also in an era where you can't just go around saying those things, man. And um, it's kind of one of those – you know, or if you're going to say it, at least don't put it on paper. Like he was kind of <laughs> not smart enough to do, to know. So, uh, you know, I hate that happen because he was a good coach and a good guy, but just one of those hard lessons to learn, man. It cost him his job. Brandon Parker in his fourth season as the, or one of the offensive tackles for the Las Vegas Raiders as he joins us here on Box to Row. And, and to the point, I mean, you know, John Gruden, Mike Mayotte, and who's no longer there, uh, either, but I mean, those guys, I mean, and John Gruden in particular, ultimately drafted you, wanted you as part of this team. That doesn't happen. You know, a third round tackle out of a small college, particularly in HBCU, that doesn't happen every day. So I know that had to be, you know, maybe from a personal standpoint, you know, hit you a little bit harder. Uh, it does, man. It's just the, the simple fact that they were willing to take a chance on me and Obviously, they do their research with the scouting department and knew, knew my background. They like my film clearly enough to draft me. But it still is a testament to them and the faith they had in me to even, you know, take a chance in me because I had some growing pains to go through, had some development to do. But I think I'm starting to play like a complete tackle. And just for them to see the vision and have the faith to stick with me, you know, through all four years is, you know, a testament to them. So they're always going to be fans of my book, man. And I'm always going to have their back because they, they took a chance, but they didn't have to. And I appreciate them for that. You know, I'm not saying if you if you did or you didn't, but do you feel like even under Gruden, um, because you mentioned, I mean, you had some struggles, and we talked about that uh, a little bit with you last year, but ultimately, I mean, you came on at the end of, of last season. You came on at the end of this season. I don't remember how many of the last games you started. I would say it was at least six or seven of the last games uh, of the season, including the playoff game. You feel like, uh, at least under Gruden, ultimately you got a fair shake. Uh, I would say so, yeah. I, um, you know, uh, obviously didn't play – every NFL player wants to play every game that's every step possible. But, you know, my play wasn't consistent enough to kind of warrant me that position. So you had veterans like Sam Young and Trent Brown who were able to kind of carry the weight while giving me the time to develop. And then, um, you know, when they were, weren't able to go or when the staff felt like I was ready to go or, you know, I deserved the opportunity and I, you know, try to step up and perform. And that's all you can ask for in this business is a chance. And I had multiple chances. So that's all I can ask for. Sure. How were things, were things different? How much different, I should say, were things under interim head coach Rich Bisaccia? Um, Not a whole lot different. You know, he, he's been under group system for what, four years, the same time I've been under it. So kind of had that same philosophy, same mentality and, you know, the offense was the same pretty much. The defense was, you know, a little different with Gus. But, you know, a lot of the same guys were already in place. So all he had to do was step step in and kind of spearhead us and keep us going in the right direction. So kind of like a co-pilot taking over a big flight. You know, it, it's already on a destination. But he just needs somebody to commandeer it to get where it's going. 
That the voice of Brandon Parker, offensive tackle for the Las Vegas Raiders, as he joins us here on the program. Ultimately, the Raiders now have a new head coach in Josh McDaniels. Um, but, I mean, for you, what, what's next for you? I mean, that that's the Raiders situation. You're an unrestricted free agent this year. So, I mean, is your intent, do you ultimately want to come back to the Raiders? What does your future sort of look like? Um, it's unknown right now, man. I, You know, I, I would love to be a Raider for life, man. That's, you know, that Silver Blacks is different, man. And, you know, through the love of all the hate, I've, I felt welcome here. It's kind of home to me. So, you know, if I do have to leave another team, it's going to be a little awkward. And, you know, it's like leaving your first <laughs> – your first child, in a sense, you know, it's uh, or your first home, I guess. You just, you know, they're, they're going to have a special place in my heart. But I also know how the business works. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, I feel like I played good enough to get a, another chance somewhere else. So wherever I'm blessed to go to the next place, I'm going to give them my all and try to be the best way I can be there. How have you grown in now four years in the National Football League, specifically with the Raiders? Um, definitely have – this year for sure learn how to persevere but just even through those years before you know like you have a good game you have a bad game and might get benched because of that bad game but I've just learned to kind of steady the course and keep my head down at work man just you know really kind of truly learning the value of hard work man and anything you don't like you can fix it in this league you can correct your mistakes you can find your imperfections and continue to build them up to where they become your strong point so it's just really learn how to work through just about anything no doubt about it so your thoughts on the upcoming matchup in the big game between the Bengals and the Rams? Um, it's kind of like the old underdog versus the Giants story you hear about, man. It's no secret. Nobody predicted Cincinnati to be in the Super Bowl, but now that they're here, it's kind of hard to not root for those guys. You know, they, they play hard. They're young. There's not a whole lot of superstars. They just go out and play and play to the whistle, you know, is blown, man. So you got to root for those guys. And the Rams, obviously, the superstars with loaded talent everywhere. Um, you know, generational talent, even future Hall of Famers all through that team. That team. So it's, uh, you know, they're obviously the, the favorite here. But, man, I, I'm rooting for the underdog. I got to go for the Bengals. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, no question about that. So, and, of course, we're joined by Brandon Parker here on the program. For you, what do you remember, man? You're you're an A&T, North Carolina A&T guy. What do you remember most about those days at A&T? Man, just the, just the fellowship and the family, bro. Like, it's. You know, I know everywhere tries to say that whole family deal with, you know, the BCS schools and the Power Fives and stuff, but it's more like a competition there. But with A&T, it's a family. You got a bunch of brothers who are all working towards the same goal. I mean, you, you struggle together, you know, from having two or three items to kind of make it through the year with conditioning-wise or you know, those hard summers with walk on. Just finding a way to come together and break through it and lean on each other, man. And especially that last undefeated season where you finally kind of seen the work pay off and what, kind of can happen if everything is done right man that's i'm never gonna forget that yeah this the, a lot of hbcu players now in the national football well there they have been but i mean i think we're seeing more that are sort of excelling at the top guys that are getting drafted at higher rounds more like yourself although i mean i would say the last couple of drafts have been poultry uh, in terms of drafts but in terms of players we got some really good players man sort of your thoughts uh, on that and how HBCU players continue to rise in the National Football League? Uh, well, just, you know, credit to the guys before us, man. It's been, you know, a stud in every class that's kind of either got drafted or, you know, garnered high attention from scouts to kind of bring more attention to HBCU. So now 
we have several guys who are in the league from HBCUs who are playing at really elite levels that are kind of forcing, you know, the scouts to pay more attention to us because it's clear to say that, you know, we can play with these guys. It's, you know, if you're talented, they'll find you. And that was kind of what they told me going to A&T with NFL aspirations that, you know, don't worry about where you're going because if you're good, they'll find you. And I promise you, you'll get your opportunity to play as long as you stay the course and just be dominant. So it's good to finally see HBCUs getting the recognition they need. No doubt. So you got to tell us the story. I mean, I, I know you've told it before. We got to tell us the story. 2017, uh, North Carolina Central, the opponent. Uh, but you did something prior to that football game. Tell us about it. Oh, uh, yeah. So my, my sweetheart that's still with me today, bless her heart, uh, is uh, <laughs> I decided <laughs> to propose to her before the game. And, um, you know, I, I got my coach's permission about, I say, a month in advance. I made sure I was back, you know, the back lineup senior night just to make sure I don't steal any sign from my teammates because obviously they've worked hard and to get to the point where they are and, you know, got down on one knee and fumbled. <laughs> she said yes, allegedly. She uh, she froze, so but it was kind of one of those head nods that confirmed <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. So, uh, and then we jumped the ring. But, you know, eventually everything worked out. So we have a beautiful daughter and, you know, we're blessed beyond measure. So it, it worked out. Look, man, whatever your next team is, they may not – you know, you may not be an eligible receiver if you're dropping the ring, man. How are you going to catch the football, Brandon? Uh, I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, man. Well, look, we appreciate it. Brandon Parker, of course, offensive tackle. The last four years has been spent with the Raiders. He is an unrestricted free agent. As a matter of fact, former North Carolina A&T All-American joins us here on Box to row. Brandon, always great to catch up with you, man. Continued success in all you do. Appreciate you, boss. Thanks for having me, man. And shout out to the Box to row team. I appreciate y'all. We appreciate you, Brandon, and appreciate you giving us some time here on Box to row. React to anything that Brandon Parker had to say. Hit us up via Twitter at Box to row. B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. A mature young man took the responsibility upon himself to say, hey, there were times that I didn't play well, and when I did not play well, third-round draft pick out of a small school or not, I didn't deserve to play until I ultimately got it right. So it'll be interesting to see what the Raiders do with Josh McDaniels now as the head coach, whether Brandon Parker re-signs with the Raiders or ultimately moves on. Up next here on Box to Row, I'm talking with Southern Head men's basketball coach, Sean Woods. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here. Right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Donald Ware. Donald Sean Ware, Woods, Ware, the head men's basketball Ware. coach at Southern, going to join us. In a couple of moments here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. The Box to Row National Players of the Week. First, Rashika Simmons is a guard from Fayetteville State. Averaged 24 points a game. She also averaged eight rebounds, two and a half steals, and shot 58% from the field in two victories for the Broncos. Then we had co-national players of the week, both from the same team, both from Bluefield State. Guard Jordan Hines is a freshman 
from Tamarack, Florida, and guard Marquez Cooper's a junior from St. Petersburg, Florida, both averaged 29 points per game in two victories for Bluefield State on last week. Now, I've got to do some house cleaning because for the previous two weeks, we did not give the National Players of the Week. So going back a couple of weeks ago, Javante Cook of Winston-Salem State is a graduate student from Columbia, South Carolina, averaged 26.5 points, three assists, and shot 40% from three-point range into victories for the Rams that week. Also, Shayla Jackson of Tuskegee that week, she averaged, she's, in a matter of fact, a junior from Maryville, Indiana. She averaged 28.3 points, 9.7 rebounds, three steals, shot 45% from the field, and shot 93% from the free throw line in three victories for the Golden Tigers that week. Let me take you back three weeks ago. And, of course, we had Brian Poor, the Headman's basketball coach of West Virginia State on the program. His kid, Glenn Abram, named the player of the week, graduate student from Chicago, averaged 27 points, 3.5 assists, 2.5 steals, 3.5 rebounds, shot 58% from the field, and 41% from three-point range in two wins for the Yellow Jackets. Also, Sharika McNeil from North Carolina ANTs, a redshirt junior guard from Charlotte, North Carolina averaged 20 points, three and a half assists, two steals, and shot 54% from the field and 41% from three-point range in two wins for the Lady Aggies that week. For more information on our Players of the Week, you can log on to our website, boxtorow.com. In his fourth season as the head men's basketball coach at Southern is Sean Woods' previous stops as the head coach included Morehead State as well as Mississippi Valley State where he helped to lead the Delta Devils to the SWAC Tournament Championship. And tomorrow, taking on Prairie View A&M as Sean Woods joins us here on Box to Row. It's been quite a while, Coach Woods. Welcome back to the program. Hey, glad to be here. It has been a while. You guys are rolling, uh, rolling a little bit right now. You look at the record. Right, fourteen and nine, nine and two in conference play. You've won your last three ball games. Your thoughts on where your team is to this point? Well, we still got a ways to go, but we're getting better every single day. Uh, just guys are just finding ways to win, and, and uh, especially on the defensive end, you know, that's what's giving us chances. Uh, offense has been up and down, but defensively, for the most part, you know, we've been right there leading. You know, tops in the country in steals, tops in the country in forced turnovers. And now, you know, we just got to continue to rebound the ball better, which we have in the last couple games. You know, if we can clean that up, um, I really like our chances coming down the stretch. Good win. again. All wins are good wins, right? But a good win against Alabama State at home, 72-58, to your last game on Monday. Speak to that victory. Well, you know, Mo Williams is getting better every day. You know, you can tell he's going to be a mainstay. He's working on his craft, but he's – got Alabama State playing as hard as you could possibly play. Uh, they're just going to continue to get better. But we were fortunate and had a great crowd uh, in Mumford Stadium uh, at the Midi Dome with our, with our fans and students, and our guys stepped up to the plate. Early 
on, I mean, you had some nice wins. You know, when you look at it early on, I mean, if you look in conference play, you know, Texas Southern has been one of the better teams in the SWAC. You get a win uh, there, you know, win against Kent State, Southeastern Louisiana. You know, you played some tough competition. You look at playing your alma mater, University of Kentucky. We'll talk more about that. Wins over Tennessee State. Just talk about that early on schedule and how it helped to prep you for SWAC play. Well, just, you know, from a competitive standpoint, these guys have proven that they, they don't stop competing. And that's been a beauty of our basketball team, just the culture. Because we got some guys that's been here in the fold a little bit, and Jaden Sadler and Isaiah Rollins and Brendan Brooks, along with the newcomers that came in. It was just a perfect mesh. And, uh, you know, when we got the transfers in, they all came from winning programs and was used to being very competitive and winning. So it was kind of a match made in heaven, not just going out and getting kid from a high major we wanted to make sure that we got the perfect fit that matched our winning ways and, and, and the vision that we're, we were trying to take our program speak to that a little bit more i think you know we're seeing this transfer portal and a lot of players a lot of coaches are doing exactly what you say maybe building their programs uh via the transfer portal what, what's sort of your uh philosophy do you kind of plug and play where you need transfers and i mean this is your fourth year you seem to be building a program there at Southern, again, 9-2 and two in swag play. Well, you, you know, right now, you, 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 much, you, you, what's more attractive than the kid that's got experience, especially at our level, because it's hard to get a high school kid that's good enough to help you compete um, right away uh, his first year at, at, at a major level. We, that's why we were able to compete at a major level starting off is because we got some guys that came from that level that was used to winning. That the voice... Sean Woods, the head men's basketball coach at Southern, as he joins us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Tyrone Lyons, I think you mentioned him a little bit earlier. Speak to what he really brings to this basketball team as your team's leading scorer at 13.2 points per game. Well, he's just a multi-level player. You know, he can score at all three levels. He's 6'8", and he's playing guard. Uh, can, can stroke it from three, can take you off the bounds, uh, super athletic. We're, we're happy to have him because he's a high major level kid. And then who are some of the other guys that are really competing for you that you feel like are competing well for you right now? Well, they all are. It's not just one guy. It's This whole team is really competing at a high level. Uh, as you can see, we got five guys scoring in double figures, and then we got some other guys right behind them, but Every night is somebody different it's just because of the culture that we don't just hang our head on one or two guys. You know, everybody plays a part. And, uh, you know, we just try to play the game the right way, and that's why sometimes our scoring is where it is because, you know, we just don't rely on one guy. And that keeps everybody happy and playing hard and things like that. We just got a great group of young men. Uh, and, and, and I think, uh, you know, time was perfect with how this team's gelled like, so fast. You know, last couple of years we didn't have preseason workouts and things like that because of COVID. This is the first time we've had that in a while, and it's kind of paying a dividend. For you, 10 years later, having coached a SWAC championship at Mississippi Valley State, and, of course, you moved on to be the head coach at Moorhead State uh, as well. How have you seen the SWAC grow? Yeah. Uh... Tremendous. I mean, I think these schools are starting to put money into their athletic programs. 
we're starting to get serious about athletics, as you can see with the Black Black Lives Movement, but also the, the coaches that are in our league right now, especially from a basketball standpoint. So uh, I, I think it's growing, and it's going to continue to grow too, and I think it's going to continue uh, on a national scale to be competitive, especially when the scheduling starts to change a little bit to where some of these high majors are going to start coming to our place to play home games. Uh, and I think, you know, sometimes the, our teams are as competitive but it's hard for anybody to win on the road, whether you're in the same conference or not. And, uh, you know, you know, once we start getting some home games and things like that, then they'll start to figure out how hard it is to win at our place just as well as it is to win at theirs. Sean Woods is the head men's basketball coach at Southern. He joins us here on the program. Your thoughts ultimately on Prairie View A&M, and this is that stretch where you play Prairie View A&M Saturday, Texas Southern, on Monday, who you beat earlier uh, in the season. But what are some of the challenges that Prairie View A&M present? Well, you know, they're a team that's scrappy. They're at home, and they're going to play with a lot more confidence. They're a better team at home than they have been on the road. So uh, we got our, you know, our, our, our just, uh, uh, have our work cut out for us there. But I think, you know, listen, we come in and do the things that we need to do and the way we do them. Uh, I like our chances, but it's going to be a, a big-time contest for us because they're always tough at home. As a player at Kentucky, you were coached by uh, Rick Pitino, very memorable team, uh, memorable uh, 1992 uh, year, as a matter of fact. Of course, the Christian Leitner shot that ultimately beat you guys. But what do you remember most about your time at Kentucky and specifically that 92 team, which was your senior year? Well, you know, you – you were at the, one of the Taj Mahals of all college sports, not just basketball, just college sports. You know, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege, and, and you, you see and understand what excellence is all about because everything about the University of Kentucky from an athletic standpoint is excellent, and that's the reason why they're always good. And uh, you take that away from you. You know, that's what you take away from that is, you know, how you do things. If you have a championship mentality, you don't bow down to anybody else and you stick with your guns. And I learned that quite quite. You know, frankly, from the University of Kentucky and also from Rick Pitino. And that's why no matter who's a coach at Kentucky, they're always good. And no matter where Rick Pitino goes, or Billy Donovan goes, or Tubby Smith goes, or Ralph Willard, uh, Herb Sendak, or even Ralph Willard, I mean, uh, Rock Oliver, they always win. So I, I've been fortunate. I was fortunate to play for some great coaches and also at, at one of the best universities in all of college basketball. Was coaching something you always wanted to do? No, not at all. You know, uh, I I never thought that I would be good at it, and I never thought that I was, you know, I don't know. I, it wasn't until later on that, that uh, it bit me after my basketball career was over, and I started working out guys and coaching the AAU teams and things like that. So I found, you know, the, the bug and the niche and the love for, for coaching. Yeah, and then uh, I'm sure you mentioned all of those coaches. Man, that's a, that was a great coach. I mean, <laughs> all those guys, Herb Sendak went on, NC State, Arizona State, of course. Uh, Tubby Smith now at high point, but went on to lead Kentucky to a national championship. I mean, did did that some of that some of those coaches? What did you? What coach maybe influenced you the most in terms of how you coach now? Not one. Not, neither one of them. Ronnie Arrow is is where I you know who who was my biggest influence, you know, the guy I worked for. I never worked for any of those guys that I played for. 
for Ronnie Arrow I worked for. Ronnie Arrow is one of the most underrated coaches in all of college basketball. He was a big-time junior college coach at St. Uh, Jack Junior College in Texas that used to win all those uh, junior college championships. Then he went on to South Alabama and beat Alabama in the NCAA tournament, uh, took them to the NCAA tournament two or three times, South Alabama. And I worked for him at Texas A&M Corpus Christi and uh, helped him get to the NCAA tournament too. That's He was a big influence on how I do things right now. But the, the main thing of the culture and how you do things and what it's supposed to feel and look like, I got that definitely from Rick Pitino in University of Kentucky. Sean Woods, again, in his fourth season as the head men's basketball coach at Southern, joins us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM as the Jaguars on the road tomorrow against Prairie View A&M leaders, as a matter of fact, are the Jaguars in the SWAC with a 9-2 and two mark. Coach Woods, it's been a minute. Great to catch up with you. Continued success to you and the Jaguars. My man, I appreciate it, man. Keep your fingers crossed, and hopefully the, uh, us as Jaguars can get to that finish line and get to the NCAA tournament. And we'll see what ultimately plays out for the Jaguars, but so far, so good for the Southern men's basketball team. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom of four hundred of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef Jerky. ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. What up, what up? Yo, 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 yo. Okay, KK. Mike Wallace is the senior editor of Grind City Media. has been doing this for a very long time. I know nothing surprises him. We had some, some surprising trades, but I'm sure nothing surprises him as he joins us here on the program. What's going on, Mike? Hey, what's going on, Donald? Like you said, a lot's going on, man, and it's just – uh. You know, this is the time of year where, you know, you, you, you take a, a deep breath and, and see where all the chips are going to fall, man. And there's certainly some chips falling all across the league. So I'm, I'm ready to top it up with you, man, as always. Okay, so let's start here. I mean, let's start with the big trade. Like, let me, let me preface, give, give you some thoughts, and then you let me know. So, to me, I think, I think the Nets make out big time in the deal between Ben Simmons uh, and James Harden. So I think if you look at... I think if you said, okay, Katie, Kyrie, James Harden, all healthy, all ready to rock and roll, I mean, nobody's stopping that. It, it may be a little bit less for the Nets, but I still think if, if Kyrie can, in terms of the vaccination, if that comes down and he can play every day, now you bring to this team a Ben Simmons who can play D for you, can do a lot of different other things. Plus you add Seth Curry, you add Drummond, and two first-round picks? Your thoughts on this trade? Hey, when you look at it like that, you know, it, it, it definitely is a trade that gives Brooklyn something. And it, it, gives them, it gives them more depth and it gives them balance and it gives them a legitimate way to say, you know what, we got a little bit of everything done in this deal. We accomplished a lot in this deal. Um, when, you, when you put the, uh, you know, the, the, the cherry on top with the first-round picks, that give them some future flexibility because they're, they're going to be up against a, 
luxury tax and well over the luxury tax for the next few years, they're not going to have a lot of ways to bring in young talent uh, from that standpoint because they're going to always, if they're doing well, picking you know late in the draft. So to get some extra assets from the draft is always good. Now, how does this deal help them right away? It gives them another big body because Blake Griffin and, and LaMarcus Aldridge uh, are long in the tube. Drummond is another big that can go in there and be physical and rebound and give them some depth up front. So that's that. Seth obviously gives them another, another weapon to run the floor and catch uh, wide-open threes because of the pressure that Kyrie and Kevin Durant, when they're healthy, are going to leave out there on the floor. You're going to command attention. You double both of those guys. There are only five defenders on the court. Somebody's going to be open to step into those threes. So it does help keep Brooklyn at the level where they are. It gives them some depth. So I like the trade from their standpoint. But the biggest ifs is if, Ky- if Kyrie Irving can get on the floor – in the uh, in the playoffs and get in his like if you're in a tight series and you don't have him because of uh, mandates the COVID vaccination mandates and, and things of that nature that's going to be tough. Um, it, I, I find it hard to believe that a team will be willing to risk that and lose a series because of that. So I wonder if those mandates are going to change or if Kyrie's going to change his tune once they get to the playoffs or whatever. We'll see. Kevin Durant's got to stay healthy for this to work regardless of what happens. But I like it from their end of the spectrum. Now, Donald, when you flip it for, for the Sixers, they were able to do this without having to give up, give up Tybal, without having to give up uh, uh, Maxi, without having to give up Tobias Harris, so they still, without having to give up Danny Green. So they still have a lot of their young pieces and their, their veteran pieces, and then you plug in James Harden to play alongside Joel Embiid. I mean, this is a guy that can get you 30. I think we're going to see more Houston James Harden then we got a chance to see Brooklyn James Harden once he gets to Philadelphia. I hope so, Mike. This is where I stand. So I thought with the Nets, I mean, I think if you've got Kyrie and, and KD minus James Harden, you can win a championship. You could – Harden and any one of the other guys, you are not going to win a championship. I, even though you're right. I mean, Harden goes with Joel Embiid. I don't think Harden can win a championship – even with Joel Embiid, you can look at Tobias Harris. They've got some young players. I'm all for that. But, you know, I mean, when are we going to see this Houston James Harden? I just don't think that at the end of the day, Harden can win a championship. And I think his best bet to win a championship was with KD and Kyrie. I see. And see, I, I, I disagree to an extent because I never liked that mix. I never liked that mix. KD is fine. But Harden and Kyrie were always going to offset and mitigate one another to a certain extent. You were never going to get them to their peak games because both of those guys, to be at their best, they have to have the ball in their hands for 15 seconds of the shot clock for the most part. They have to be able to operate in transition. Neither one of them are necessarily great off the ball, whereas, whereas KD is great off the ball. He's great on the baseline. He's great catching and shooting. So his game fits dynamically alongside either one of those guys. But I think you had too much of a good thing when you put Kyrie and Harden next to each other. And we really never got to see those guys really play a lot of games together, all three of them. It seems like one of them or two of them were always hurt last year. Um, that certainly played out, uh, you know, coming into this season as well with Kyrie not being available. So I think what this does for James, it puts him back in a more traditional type role where that could be one of the most lethal pick and roll tandems we've ever seen he's playing with the best big man he's ever played with uh in terms of Joel Embiid 
And then when you look at a pure role-playing supporting cast, uh, Tobias Harris, Doc Rivers' toughness as a defensive-minded coach, um, what the, playing in a place like Philly, I, I think that's going to bring out the best in James Harden because after the way he left Houston and the way he had to get out of Brooklyn, he knows the onus is now on him. And I think we're going to see a more motivated, a more locked-in James Harden, and that's going to free up Joel Embiid as well. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Crying City Media, joins us here on the program to talk NBA trades. The Lakers, Westbrook still with the Lakers, a lot going on. As a Wizards fan, if it wasn't for Westbrook, the Wizards would not have made the playoffs last year. I think, yeah, obviously it hasn't worked to this point. Maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, if, it, if you still give it some time, perhaps it could. I know the Lakers were looking to unload Westbrook. They were not able to. What now for the L.A. Lakers? I mean, what the L.A. Lakers would tell you, Rob Palenka, um, you know, that front office, you know, LeBron James and, and those guys, they will tell you, listen, what we'll do, Frank Vogel, is look at and scour the waiver wire. You know, there are going to be some buyout candidates uh, that come from this trade deadline, um, all of this activity. There are going to be some veterans that you could pick up um, to help bolster. But I don't think that's going to be anything that definitely takes the Lakers back over the top. They, they made their bed, man, by, by bringing in Westbrook. Now they got a lie in it. Um, you know, I'm surprised that Houston – uh, didn't get more engaged in trying to, you know, unload John Wall. I think that might be headed for a buyout type situation, and then maybe they do something there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also surprised that, you know, the Lakers didn't try to shake up some things. And, and but, but who are they going to part with? I mean, unless you've given up Anthony Davis or Russell Westbrook, you really don't have any options. I just don't believe that they have the formula nor the chemistry uh, to make this work at an elite level. Now, granted, they could catch fire, man. I'm not going to ever bet against LeBron James. I've seen him up close and personal uh, too many times to count that guy out or or to bet against him. But having said that, it doesn't look good, man. It it just doesn't look good in L.A., and I think they're going to have to really take a long, hard look this offseason and and break that thing up one way or another. Seemed like a a sneaky good trade for the teams involved. You look at Utah. Uh, you look at OKC, uh, right? Talk about that trade. That seemed like a, you know, one of those that may have gone under the radar a bit. I mean, it, it, it did. It did kind of go under the radar a little bit because you got to wonder, you know, what OKC's motivations are. They're loaded with draft picks. They're loaded with a lot of young players. They're not really going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, what, what they do have, and, and I look at it from the standpoint. It's not going to make OKC better. It's not going to speed up their, 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 their rebuild or anything like that. So they did what they had to do. They're laundering, basically. <laughs> Oklahoma City is basically in the lead to launder either draft picks, cash, or assets that they don't necessarily need going forward. But what it did for the Utah Jazz is that it gave them a little bit of a shot in the arm for a team that really had gone stale. And this was the number one team in the league last year. They had the best record in the West, a number one seed, and they just can't stay healthy. COVID basically, you know, ripped them apart. And then these injuries uh, to, to, to uh, uh, you know, um, Rudy Gobert and then uh, obviously Donovan Mitchell having a concussion. Um, they needed some extra oomph. They needed some extra punch. And giving up Joe Ingles when you have Bogdanovich, you still have some guys there that can get you the kind of points you need. They just got a little bit younger, a little bit more athletic, and they should be able to uh, hit another gear once they get back in the mix and get some of their guys healthy. So that's a sneaky good trade for them. Another sneaky good trade is, is what Dallas did uh, with getting, bringing in Dinwiddie and sending out Porzingis. 
that might have been the biggest surprise move that we've seen throughout the entire deadline because you never knew that Porzingis was going to be dangled like that. You just didn't get the feeling. But as we talked about with Portland, you know, I think to a certain extent, uh, Porzingis kind of wore out his welcome in Dallas. They gone as far as they were going to get with him. That that dynamic between he and Luca wasn't really going to take you to the next level. Um, they they regressed a little bit this year, um, and now with Dinwiddie, they get another dynamic score because Tim Hardaway Jr. was lost for the year with his surgery. So now you get another guy in Dinwiddie that can handle the ball and play off the ball as well. So that should keep them going on the perimeter. And we'll see what Porzingis can do in, in Washington, even though Bradley Beal is gone for the year too. So you're not going to really, if you're Washington, you're not really evaluating that trade for what it can do for you. For the future, uh, you have to see what Porzingis has in the tank right now, whether you're going to leverage and market that moving forward. Yeah, uh, agreed. And, and maybe it's a thing where, you know, I think Bill always wanted to stay in Washington, really didn't have a choice uh, this year because of the injury. Maybe they, they sign him to a longer-term deal. You have sort of a three-ish kind of, you know, players. And we'll, we'll ultimately see – how that plays out. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. Follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. Check out his work at GrindCityMedia.com. Thank you, Mike. Hey, anytime, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you to Mike Wallace, to Brandon Parker for joining us today on the program. My pick for the big game. I'm going to go hard to go against Joe Burrow, but I'm going to ultimately go with the Rams. I just don't know if that Cincinnati offensive line is going to be able to to hold up. Plus, I like the experience that the Rams present. For more information on Box to Row, log on to our website, boxtorow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM is produced by DW Communications.